Welcome. Welcome, everybody. This is the 14th episode of the MOH podcast, and so we're glad to have you with us. As far as I know, this is going to be the last one on the methods of guidance, unless between now and next one I find I find something else. But this is all I could find on this topic. It's going to be a, a very important one because, as you know, we've had, what is it, three, three episodes, I think, so far on the various methods that God can speak to you. And once you've kind of grown accustomed to how to deal with those. This one that's coming up will be the one that you'll probably use most on a day-to-day basis. It's just simply the witness of the Holy Spirit. In other words, listening to God's voice on a daily basis. So uh, this is a very important one. You You need to listen to the other ones first, of course. And we're ready to get started with this one, number 14, MOH Podcast, Methods of Guidance, Winky Prattney. Here he is. And I want to give you a few tests for this witness of the Spirit. So you, there's a lot of voices can speak, and they're not all the voice of God. Never act on a doubtful impression. That is rule number one. Never act if you are in doubt. Do not act. If you're in doubt, that's rule number one, especially if it is accompanied by haste. You get this thing and you're not, you just, uh, you know, you doubt, not quite sure whether this is God or not. And there's a real doubt in your mind. Never go ahead and do it. Especially if there's haste in it. Now hurry up and do it. Do it. Do it. That, That pushy little, pushy doubt is a dangerous, dangerous thing. This is what we call the parable of the preacher's shirt collar. Preacher came to his wife and said, is this shirt clean or dirty? She said, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. She was far out. Never do anything that is doubtful. Why? Even if it turns out to be right afterward, it would be wrong for you to do it because the Bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin. You must be able to fully go ahead. Now, that doesn't always mean you will understand all the reasons why you should do it. But you must be convinced this is really God before you act. And God will give you time to do that. We've already mentioned many times when God has gone out of his way to show you that it's really him. You cannot, you do not have the right to ask why you should do it. But you do have the right to ask if it is God. And that's the basic question that Christians should always ask. Is this God? Is it really him? If it is him, then do it. Don't get into the habit of asking why. Why? Why should you get into the habit of asking, not get into the habit of asking why? To God. Because your peanut brain does not see why. Simple as that. Uh, here is the difference, by the way, between Christianity and rationalism. And that's an important little thing. Charles Finney, who probably preached more content in his sermons than any other three preachers in his generation. I don't know if you've ever read one of Finney's revival lectures or one of his sermons. But those things are so loaded, the average preacher could get four or five sermons out of them. Just, and those are just notes that people took in a hurry on his preaching. Just content, content, content. Really blew people away with you thought, well, that's it. I'm going to get saved. Then he went on 20 minutes after that. You said, I'm going to get saved. And then he added another 40 minutes. <laughs> Brother, when you got saved, you got saved. You know, <laughs> everything. So what was interesting is to read a little book by Charles Finney, which all of those of you who ever 
study Finney, remember Finney was America's greatest revivalist, probably the most powerful single voice this nation has ever seen for revival and for evangelism. Uh, two and a half million people got saved under his ministry. That was without radio, without television, without even PA systems. And at the peak of his ministry, over 10,000 people were getting saved every single week in this country. One of the greatest ministries since the Acts of the Apostles. Finney said this in his little book, Revival Fires, which was a summary near the end of his life of things that he would have liked to correct in his early ministry. And one of the neatest, Revival Fires, it's called. Just a little book. Bethany Fellowship publishes it, Revival Fires. And in this little book, Finney said, I think in my early ministry, I laid too much stress on understanding everything before people decided. And he said, if I did it again, what I would do, which would be more helpful, he didn't say that was wrong, he said it would be more helpful. One thing Finney did is he watched his converts and he wanted to see the long-term results of their lives. And then if he felt like he'd emphasize things too strongly in one area, then he'd correct it. And that's, that's part of a, a godly man, the ability to change your ministry if you feel like you're overemphasizing or underemphasizing certain things. And he said this, I would convince people the reasons why God said to do something. He would lay out all of the reasons that he knew, and he knew a lot. You know, God says this because 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and besides, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Now you ought to do it. People go, oh, far out, you know, and they would do it. But he said... He learned uh, a little later in his ministry that what this did sometimes with new Christians is it developed a rationalistic spirit. And they would not do anything unless they knew why they ought to do it. So he said he found it more helpful for their souls to give them enough so that they knew it was true, but not all of it, and then just tell them, do it. You do it, as God says. So now when people come up and they say, um, why should I do such and such a thing? I said, because God says to. And they go, well, I don't think that's very good an answer. And if I see an attitude of learning, I may give them a couple more things. If I don't see it, I may not give them anything. I'll just say, that's too bad. <laughs> I remember talking to a guy for an hour, man, and, and finally I said, are you really interested in changing life? He said, no. And I said, well, why should I waste God's time and my time talking to you? Goodbye. And he went, wait, wait, back. I said, you're interested? Well, um. see, a lot of people, words, man, no. Now, I found this. My early Christian life, I got so I didn't know anything from anything, but I just knew that God was dealing with me. I'd seen enough evidence to know he was real, and I surrendered to him. I learned to trust him. I learned to find out if he says that, he's trustworthy. I traveled three years with some basic covenants. These were faith covenants. I promised God to never ask for money, transportation, food, a place to stay or ministry. And I went halfway around the world on those seven covenants, and it was a lot of fun. Um, just watching God work and minister, and I learned that he was trustworthy. It was fun. It was like an adventure, you know. Next. And then later on, with the basis of faith, God taught me some things that put content into those principles. So I thought, oh, wow, is that why he said, isn't that far out? And that strengthened my faith in him. Do you see that? Then he said then, he would tend to tell young Christians, just do this because God has said it, 
make sure they knew it was God, and then get them to do it. And then after that experience, the results and the blessings of that, come back and teach them why God said that. And he said this tended to confirm and develop faith. If you gave them all the reasons why first, it tended to cut back on faith and develop a more rationalistic spirit. The difference between a rational Christian and rationalistic spirit is this. A rational Christian asks, is this really God? And he's always asking questions, making sure this is really from the Scriptures, this is really from God. A rationalistic Christian wants to know why he ought to do anything. And that is a bad spirit to have. Why do I have to do that? How can God explain that to our peanut head? I've found one of the questions we want to deal with is sexual immorality. For instance, I'm going to share a lot of reasons why sexual immorality is wrong. It's one of the whole areas we want to deal with before this thing's finished. Well, the first reason it's wrong is because God says it is. He says, hmm, yeah. Too bad. We will find out. Okay? Um, next thing on this witness. Watch out for any um, sense of uneasiness or fear in, in this inner voice. Now, the reason why I have to say these things is because if our conscience is clean, they ought to come automatic. But some of us carry dirty consciences around so long we've forgotten what a clean conscience is. In my early Christian life, I had the funniest things happen to me. I just don't even want to tell you all of these funny things that happened to me. But if you really have a hunger after God, the strangest things can come into your mind. When I was in Bible college, I started getting phone calls with nobody on the end of the line. Imagine that. Here it is, 2 o'clock in the morning. Bring, bring. Hello? Hello? Hang it up. Bring, bring. I mean, until I'm getting paranoid, man. What is, what is that phone ringing for? Strange things happening. I had a girl come to me that said the Lord had spoken to her that I was the one she was going to marry. You know? That was a shock. <laughs> I wish the Lord had spoken to me and told me that. And then she came and she showed me whole reams of writings that the Lord had given her in prayer and fasting, right? Reams of this stuff. The Lord was speaking to me last night, and uh, I picked this, you know, I thought, oh, you know, I was a green Christian, I didn't know anything from anything. I said, brother. You know what was scary? In that thing were some things that I thought only I and God had talked about. Right there in that paper. Thus saith the Lord, I know your heart, my son, I've seen blah, blah, you know, and all this stuff. And I started thinking, man, this is really, whew. baby, you know. I started thinking, well, I don't feel funny about this, but maybe I'm out to lunch. Maybe I don't really know the Lord as well as I do. And here's this girl, she's fasting and praying, you know, and doing all this stuff. Maybe she really understands. She's a pretty girl. She was talented. She was a person witnessing a lot and all this stuff. And I thought, man, I, you know. So I got really into this. I'm reading all these things. I'm thinking, man, well, I don't really like her, but well, maybe, you know, Lord will give me a love for her eventually, I suppose. <laughs> you mean I understand this. I've been in ministry for a year and a half. It wasn't too green, but the thing that saved me 
I had a mother who was praying for me. Glory to God for mothers. My mother was in the South Island of New Zealand, about a thousand miles away, doing a business demonstration. She was praying for me, and she just, she dumped a business. She jumped on a plane. She flew straight up and caught a taxi out to the camp I was at. And she didn't even say hello or goodbye or anything. She walked up, she stuck a finger under my nose, and she said, you get rid of that girl. You know. <laughs> I hadn't even told her about the girl. But in prayer, she'd been praying for me. She saw my face, she saw this girl's face, and a big black cloud. Right over the whole thing. And she just dumped everything, got on a plane. And then after she said that, she said, hello. <laughs> and that was the first thing. And it so shocked me, it jolted me out of a whole pattern I was going to go into. And I found out later this girl had got sexually messed up with some guy six months before. She'd not admitted it to herself. Parents were very high society people, up deacon in the church and, you know, superintendent of schools and all this stuff. She did not admit that to herself or to anybody else. She covered the whole thing over, and instead of getting the thing cleaned up and repented of, she began to spiritualize. See, and it just opened the whole door of the demonic world. And, and, you know, I'm just a brand-new green sort of Christian trying to serve the Lord and follow the ministry and open for anything that he wants me to do. And, uh, you know, God, you've got to watch this. The spiritual world is a subtle world. It's not a dumb world. These dudes have had 6,000 years to fool around with things. You know, after 6,000 years, you learn a few things. Key of this, watch out for two extremes. Uh, Demonic attack in terms of witnesses or texts and stuff only occur in two situations, when you're up and when you're down. (laughs) Almost never in between. Uh, What I mean by this is in times when you're really high and excited about God is where you have to really watch out for the demonic attack. And when you're really down and you're depressed and it's a rainy day and a Monday, you know, both of these can be forms and facets of pride. Pride of the big wheel, the pride of the worm. And... Major demonic attack rides in on pride. So pride and unbelief, these two big, huge roots in which demonic attack works. When, when you, you know, there are some kids who straight after the most godly crusade and most incredible rally there's ever been have gone straight out and got sexually messed up. Just straight afterwards. High and excited about God, bless God, blah, blah, boom, blown away. See? Ministers who, after the greatest crusade in all of their lives, see, had just completely gone down the tubes. I know one man, this guy probably saw the greatest single move of God in the largest crowds, Christian people getting saved, of any minister since the day of the apostles up till the time when Billy Graham took those, that one meeting in Korea. I mean, literally millions of people saved in a week. And the guy today... A hopeless alcoholic. He's completely out of the ministry. His ministry is wiped out and shot. I don't even know that he's still alive. You, you understand after this huge thing to 
tremendous attack can take place. Because we do not understand that in these extremes of emotion, high excitement, see, real excitement, or real depression, demonic world has a heyday. They love working with feelings. Now, I had to learn this the hard way because we were out, we were having a crusade, just a group of us kids. We're, again, we're all green in the ministry and we're all, you know, preaching on the streets. And we saw God do some incredible things. We saw whole chunks of people saved, whole dance floors full of people saved in this thing. We were so excited. We're, we're in this tent, right? We're all together and we're happy and singing choruses, bless God and stuff. And then some people started telling jokes. You know, hey, what about, you know, and then funny thing happened. Uh, we were just telling these jokes and stuff, and they were Christian jokes. There weren't any dirty jokes or anything, just, you know, Christian jokes. It went on for about half an hour, and quite suddenly there was a sense of spiritual loss. Boom. And we grieved the Spirit of God. See, we just, it just got into lightness and levity, see? Instead of really going to prayer straight after that and, and feeling off those results, we are having such a good time, we grieved away the Spirit of God. We've forgotten. We got into just straight ah-ha-ha stuff. And you know, the Lord did not speak to us for three days. That was the end of that crusade. We couldn't do anything more. And it was just a solemn warning to us. When the Spirit of God has done a great work, we must walk very, very carefully. So you watch those highs. If you're in the ministry, you watch those highs. They are more dangerous to you straight after than the real lows. And then the other time, all of us get to times when we're down. You know, just, oh, brother, it's raining today. <laughs> the letter hasn't come and I've been waiting for a week. Oh, brother, I've been up all night and tired. And, mm -hmm. About that time, the devil comes and he goes, God has forsaken you. You shouldn't have stolen that apple when you were a child. <laughs> there it is, there it is. <laughs> uh, he didn't play games with our mind. That's his, he makes Bill Bixby look like Mickey Mouse. He is an excellent illusionist, the enemy. And he, he just, it's kind of really subtle how it comes in, because often it comes in as the voice of the Lord, right? You have grieved me, my son, by getting up this morning. <laughs> and, and all kinds of strange things. <laughs> Test the source of a witness or a text. Test it. Test it. You get this little voice that keeps niggling away at you. Now, there is a way in which I believe the devil speaks and a way that God speaks. And the simplest way I can explain is this. When the voice of God speaks, it's like a flower opening, just like this. So simple and so basic, just like that. devil speaks, it's like this. Weep, weep, weep. Little thought, pop. Got nothing to do with it. Beep. God, it's sort of so natural, it's almost like something you thought up, but it's not. Do you understand? It's part and parcel of the whole process of what you're doing. Uh, I find this a bit hard to explain to you, but it's like this, see? And it's there. It's 
so natural, so normal, so ordinary. The devil is like, and there's something injected in there. Somebody comes along with a syringe and sticks it in your head and goes, jerk. That little thing. People think, oh, the Lord, it must have been the Lord. Not necessarily. Check it out. To show you how dangerous this can be, whenever you feel a sense of uneasiness or fear or increasing depression, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And you watch out because you may have accepted as something from God what is not God at all, including texts. For instance, sometimes the devil comes and he says, Thus saith the Lord, stand upon thy feet, I have chosen thee to be a witness to all nations. And you go, boy, that's a neat scripture. Hallelujah, the Lord has chosen me to be a witness to all nations. And the next verse comes. You know, thou art my son, I have called thee every... You go, oh, isn't that thee? Thou art very special. And finally winds up, thou art the Messiah. And you go, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? That's using text, the devil using text. And we're dumb. We don't think the devil understands any scripture. He knows it better than you do. Quoted it to Jesus. What if Jesus said, well, that's right. That's a Bible verse. Praise the Lord. <laughs> 6,000 years, devil's had to work. 2,000 years of Bible study. He knows the Bible. Quotes it all the time. He doesn't obey it. He just quotes it. Usually misquotes it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Bible says, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I'll give you an illustration of this. One of the finest and best stories of this I know is, again, Dave Wilkerson. How many of you have read his little book, I'm Not Mad at God? A couple of you have. Okay, for those of you not, this is a very key story. David Wilkerson had begun the ministry of Teen Challenge. He was a, a nationally known figure at this point. He was a young, a young man who had given everything he had to God, saw tremendous results in crusades and stuff. And he was visiting the home of a friend who was a pastor. And the pastor in this church... Uh, did I tell you this? No, I didn't. I better tell you this. pastor in this church had to... There's a big, important dedication service for the church, and he was supposed to run it. And he was in a hurry, and he jumped in his car, and he put the car into gear, and he backed out of the driveway in a hurry, and he heard a scream and a bump, and his little girl had ridden behind the car in a tricycle, and he ran right over her face, just crushed her head, tire mark right across her face, and he, he ran out, and there was his little girl under the car. I mean, you can imagine... Here is this, this whole church thing, this whole thing, everything hinging on him being over there, and there is this total incredible thing. And they called an ambulance, they got the little girl over, and this poor pastor, can you imagine? He has to go over there and set all this thing into motion and get it going and then rush back to hospital. Well, Dave goes with the little girl to hospital, got her in an oxygen tent and stuff, and uh, the doctors come out about half an hour later and they said, uh, you, you're a friend as a preacher? And David said, yes. And he said, well, I uh, hope he knows how to pray because we couldn't, we couldn't save him. He lost her. She's gone. And then this pastor comes in 
And he says, how is he? How is he? And then he sees the, sees the faces. And he just, he just screams. He says, I killed my little girl. And he runs straight for the window of the hospital, three stories up. He's going to smash through and throw himself out. And kill himself. Dave grabs him, you know, and bring him down, and they pray with him, and you know, but he's just—he's totally gone crazy with grief. He's killed his own daughter. And then David said, right there at that point, this thought came into my mind: What awful thing has this man done that God should judge him in this way? And he said, it really came into his heart like a real fear. What awful thing has he done? You know, what huge sin must he be covering in order for God to allow this kind of judgment to come into his life? And David said from that point on, for the next six months, everything he did was under fear. He said he drove himself out onto the things. He, he just worked until he was tired out. And always this, this voice, this is in his mind, right? Now, this is no guy who doesn't understand the spiritual world. Just somebody who believed this was, you know, just, it just grew. And this little thought in the back of his mind, David Wilkerson, you spend too much time at home, that's laziness, you need to spend more time doing what I called you to do, and that's get out in the streets and minister. There's too much time with your family. You're probably making a god of your family. See? And you need to get out on the streets and do what I called you to do, or the same kind of judgment will fall on you. And Dave said he drove himself. He drove himself week after week. He was tired. He said there was no joy. There was no peace. There was no excitement in his life. He just drove himself. And every time he came home to spend some time with his family, that thought used to come back again. Get out. On, what are you doing here? There's too much time. You've been here a day. Get back out. And he said one night he came back and his wife Gwen, nearly having a nervous breakdown. She was crying. She was overwrought. She hadn't seen him for a month, you know. And their little uh, girl, Debbie, was at that time just a little girl, and she was asleep. And Dave said, I walked in, it was about 2 in the morning. I picked her up, and I was carrying her in my arms, and she was asleep. But she was so starved for her daddy's affection, she clung to my arm like wire, even though she was asleep. And he said, I was walking up and down, hugging her, and a little voice came back again. Uh, who do you think you are? You think you can just pull around and stuff like this when you've got a task like the task I've called you to do. Now, this is get back out into the work I've called you to do. Get back out and do that. And Dave said right then he really got mad. And that's why the title of the book, I'm Not Mad With God. He said he got so mad. He said, God, I, after all I've done, everything I've done and the sacrifices I've made in the ministry, this is the kind of thing you think of me. And then a little boy's going, you know, you're just trying to be like Oral Roberts. So you're just trying to, you know, get out. And, have, and he, he said, he doesn't know why, but he said he, the scripture came back to his mind. Just boom into his mind. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. And he stopped right in the middle of this thing, and he said, is that you, Jesus? <laughs> Is that really you? And he said, the voice began to swear and curse. And he said, that, that isn't you. And he began to rebuke that thing, see? And he said, a cloud, a cloud just lifted right off. 
uh, the darkness that was surrounding him just lifted right off, and he began to praise and worship God and weep and laugh. And he said, he laughed, never laughed for six months. I ran up and down that thing laughing and weeping and praising God and saying, I'm not mad at God and he's not mad at me and whole restoration. And then he said, in the middle of that little thing, as he was hugging his little girl, her voice said, would you drop her on the floor? And he said, never, Lord. She's my baby. She's my child. And God said, then what makes you think I'd drop you? You need to understand that Father's heart there all the time. This, watch these witnesses. Watch this texts that are given. Because the enemy is subtle. If you keep a clean conscience and be aware of the subtlety of the enemy, it's attitudes. Do you understand? Watch your attitudes. If they become more and more depressed or more and more proud, then you knowing you're getting your guidance from the wrong source. It's not... The more we know God, the more humbled we become, the more learning we become, the more excited we become, the more happy and relaxed and loose and free and normal and natural we become. When we start getting strange, we become freaky, we become depressed, we, we, we have pressure on us, we become messianic, you know. That's where people go right off. And young Christians with great zeal in their lives, the devil knows he can't make you blow it by open immorality or real bad bitterness or, you know, some horrible thing, then he will get you into something like this that will sidetrack your usefulness and bring disrepute on your ministry and on your reputation and God and everything else. So watch it. And just say this. Don't worry about how smart the devil is. He's not really that smart. He is smart, but he's not that smart. If he was that smart, he wouldn't be a sinner. Keep a clean conscience before God and listen to that still, small voice. Constantly check your conscience out against the Word of God. Not in an introspective, self-searching way. Not every day I'm going to have another, another good look at my heart and see. If you feel like you, you're getting away from the relaxation and the happiness in God, then you go through your life. Check, see if there's anything you've done wrong. Not this constant uh, looking into yourself and all this stuff. Get, get rid of that stuff. God wants us to be a happy band of people who love Him, and serve Him because we love Him and trust Him. Not all this other foolishness. Okay? How many of you understand me? All right. Now, uh, witness of the Spirit of God then uh, there's quite a few chunks of scriptures here. And I, let me just give you a few scriptures. 2 Timothy 1.7. Well, you know this verse. God has not... You know this verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Went to England. I have a friend. And he said, you know, something funny here in England. He said, the people are smart, but they're stupid. They don't have a sound mind. Put things together. And they're really afraid of doing anything that would make their reputations look bad. See? And they do not love each other. Isn't that a wild thing? It's like almost the spiritual key 
to a whole group of people. So he went in there, loving everybody, see, challenging them to love each other, doing totally radical things, which scared the cheese out of everybody, pulling a bathtub, right, preaching at a high school, saw a bathtub on the side of the road, stuck it up on top of the van, filled it up with water, went into the high school, preached the gospel, a whole bunch of people got to get saved, took them behind the curtain and baptized them in the bathtub. And can you imagine? That's not the proper thing to do. Uh, one more thing now. We're going to give you the thing on... Uh, well, let's throw just a couple more. Watch out for any suggestions governing food, dress, sex, or manner of acting in these little voices. Food, sex, dress, these are always the demonic things fool around with food. You know, you're in the wrong food. If you eat this, you will die, you know, and this stuff. Uh, dress, the Lord wants you to wear two hula hoops on each ear to show that you are a love slave. Strange suggestions in the area of sex or manner of acting, you know. You are to walk on your hands into church this morning. This will prove that your feet are not touching holy ground. <laughs> okay, finally on waiting on God. This is uh, just in prayer to get guidance by listening in prayer. Here are the three answers God has in guidance. One, yes. Two, no. Three, wait. Do you know that no is just as much an answer as yes? Don't go to God and say, you tell me yes, you tell me yes. Well, I'm not, because you said that, I'm not going to listen. No is an answer. No is an answer. What does it mean? It means no. And wait is an answer. Now let me give you an illustration in chess. How many of you play chess? Okay. Those of you who don't play chess, it's not a game of chance like Monopoly or something. In chess, what you do, you get, you know, well, it depends on how you play. Some people play, you know, all kinds of tricky things. I like working with pawns, stick them up in front, getting them all killed, and uh, put all my heavy dudes up here and setting up a triple-jointed pin, you know, and all kinds of scissors and really freak out an opponent. Now, here is the point. In chess, a pawn, when it, if it reaches the end of the board, if it makes it without getting killed, to the other side of the board, that pawn can become anything on the board except the queen. I mean, except the king. It can become the most powerful piece on the board. Queen can go in all directions and do all kinds of slaughter. A pawn in the right place can actually be more important than a queen. Just a single lowly little pawn. And sometimes when you're playing chess, you put a piece up there, and it's not really doing anything, but it's stopping something from else from happening, which would be disastrous. 
And often in some defenses and attacks, a pawn, just one single pawn sitting there stops a, a whole game from being lost. But if that pawn was alive, and it could think, and it could pray, it probably would not understand why it was sitting there for a whole hour having done nothing whatsoever. And it would be deeply concerned because all of this battle would be going on around it and it wasn't doing anything. And if a pawn could walk, then what it would probably do is, hey man, forget this, Charlie. I'm leaving. I'm going where the action is, right? And then the whole battle plan would go down the tube. Therefore, the word wait is just as important an answer as the word yes. Because, see, we, we are so self-centered when we pray, we think that we're the only ones in the whole universe that God has to listen to. Now, I know you're important in all that, but there are four other billion people on this planet, plus all the angels, plus all the demons, plus all of the universe, and God does have a few other things to work out. And sometimes your prayer cannot be answered at that time because it does not tie in with a large number of other things. Now, I can see this in a very small thing because I work. My best friend in this country, as I said earlier, is Tony Salerno, and he's a real good leader. He's an executive. I'm not. I'm a terrible leader. I can give people principles, but I can't organize worth a hill of beans. And I have seen some of the frustration that Tony has when he's working with kids because here's a kid who's got a great idea, tremendous idea. And he'll say to Tony, I had this idea. And Tony goes, huh, fine. And the kid will go, well, let's do that. Tony goes, hmm, fine. And this kid thinks, hey, you know, it's been a whole hour, man, and nothing has been done on this idea. And this is the greatest idea that I've ever had in my entire life. And something must be done on this idea. But what he doesn't see is what Tony sees. Tony sees 20 other things, and maybe two months to develop this, and three for that, and another two for that, and then if those are all put together, this thing will fit exactly, boom, right in there, and be absolutely beautiful. If it's done now... You have to pull people off this, people off here, and it will not work out. The guy will be disappointed. The ministry will not come into fruition. All these other things will be delayed. You see that? So he says to him, okay, fine. Hang on to that. Wait. And what does the kid do? He might do just what that pawn does. Well, I've waited a whole hour, and nothing yet. So I think I'll do it somewhere. He never gets it done. Never gets done. Because he does not understand principle. When things are exactly right, they all come together, then. Now that's just a human being working with a large number of people. Imagine what God is like. Your little prayer. Dear Lord, stop it from raining today, all right? I got a picnic. Farmers dying, <laughs> crops, cows mooing, you know. And the Lord's got to listen to that and say, well, do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes he says, why don't you wait? Well, it's my picnic. <laughs> it's so weird. 
this is why it's important that you have no rights in guidance. Because if you've got hanging on to rights, you're probably going to get mad enough to not listen to guidance. Well, I got a right to know, God. How come? I'm, I'm supposed to be married already. I am 23, and everybody else is married except me. How come you haven't given me a husband yet? I think that's very fair. My best friends are all married. Why shouldn't I be? I'm no uglier than they are. Can't wait any longer. I'm 16, man. <laughs> Writing a book, I was a teenage spinster. <laughs> well, this may seem funny on our level, but I know people have just thrown over the whole of the Christian faith because God didn't answer them when they wanted him to answer them. became of paramount importance that God answered immediately, if not sooner. And because he just simply said, wait, they said, well, I'm not going to wait. You won't show me who I'm supposed to marry. I'll go and find somebody myself, and I don't care who they serve. And they got a nice 50 years to regret it. Dear girls, it is better, the old adage, it is better to be single wishing you were married than to be married wishing you were single. One is a lot easier to correct than the other. Okay. Now let's give you a... There's a ton of scriptures here, and I just... I don't want to read out a whole bunch of scriptures to you. Psalm 62, 1, and verse 5. If I don't read these out, you won't think these are scriptural. Psalm 33, verse 20. Psalm 37, verse 9. Psalm 25, 5. These are all just in Psalms. You can probably go through and find your own. Why don't you do that, man? You've got a concordance. I told you how to do it. Do it. <laughs> okay, now we're going to sum up some of these principles of guidance into just a simple little pattern uh, which you can use very practically. Uh, most people in guidance don't have problems hearing a voice. They have Problems wondering what voice is what. And most of the questions I've ever been given in guidance is, how do you tell the difference between your own ideas and God's voice, or your own ideas and the devil, and, or the devil and God? That's usually what breaks down. In other words, I go to prayer and I ask God for some stuff, and I hear a lot of ideas, but I don't know which one is mine, or it's just my own good idea, or whether it's God or what. How can I tell the difference? The hardest one, of course, to tell the difference between what you think and what God thinks if those two things are indeed different. Right? You write this down first. Sometimes what you want is what God wants. I have to say that because a surprising number of Christians cannot believe that could be possible. But if you really surrender to God and you're really a servant of God and you want to do anything he wants, he was bound to arrange something that is absolutely unlike anything you've ever wanted to do in your entire life. Completely against everything you've wanted, but you do it because you are dedicated. You have a weird idea of God. Picture, Lord, I surrender. I'm going to hate it. I'm going to like it at all, but 
I surrender. What an awful picture. Some people really think that. Do you know that if you surrender to God, the very deepest desires of your heart will be fulfilled? To a level you could not dream of. When I fought and wrestled with God whether I should give up my career, I thought, God, I have trained all my life since I've been seven years old. I wanted to be a chemist. How can I be something else? How can I be a Christian? What is a Christian, man? Christians don't know nothing. I've had all this study. I've had all this background. I'm used to taking something and ripping it apart and saying, man, this is with the heart of it. This is it. Where am I going to use that as a Christian? <laughs> had all this music back there. Let's throw that away too, right? Christians don't sing anything. All this. Oh, my God. And I got saved. All of the deepest fears were groundless. All of the things I was most afraid of surrendering. The stupid thing. I thought, I got nothing now, man. I've given it up. Might as well cut my arms off and chop my head off too. I've given you everything, and, you know, if I give you all of this stuff, what have I got left? i got nothing. The only thing that makes me important, man, is I can do this chemistry and i got this pen. That's it. Anything else. Might as well be garbage eater or something. I don't know what. And I got saved, and every single desire I've ever had in my life have been more than satisfied in Jesus Christ. And he has got me into things I never thought I could do. This is one of them, right? I, if you'd have said to me 14 years ago, you'd be talking to a bunch of people and you'd be enjoying it. I'd have thought you were crazy. I couldn't even talk to two people and enjoy it. I was so afraid and so shy and so scared of speaking to people. And I hated traveling. <laughs> See, can you imagine this? This is a miracle you're looking at, man. And it's an exciting miracle. I'm enjoying it. Friend, <laughs> friend was taking me back last night from the service. He bought me a lovely milkshake. Really enjoyed that. Taking me back and he dropped me and said, uh, do you ever need a holiday rest from all the pressure of the ministry? He said, I'd like to offer you our rent. We've got a nice place up there. And I said, that's, thank you for the offer. And then I said, you know something? I have never, ever not enjoyed the ministry. I don't really need a holiday. <laughs> Sounds silly, but I've never been tired of the ministry. This is fun. It is thoroughly fun. I look forward to it. Put me out on the beach where i got nothing to do, I would go crazy. I don't know what to do, man. Sit on the beach looking at the water coming in, going out, coming in, going out. <laughs> and what I do need in the ministry is a change of pace different kinds of things. So, sometimes I like to read, see, I'll do some electronics, design some things, different things. But that's all part of the ministry. Everything we do ought to be to God and for God. And enjoy that. Do you see what I'm saying? Here's a neat scripture. You shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. You know what that old ox does? They wouldn't, see, they would have him grinding out the corn, see? And then these people would put a muzzle over him so he couldn't eat what he was doing. 
But God said, you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Let the ox enjoy what he's doing. He goes around grinding, let him eat it, see, and he'll go far out. I am participating in, I'm having a ball with what I'm doing. And he says, say it all together for our sake. See, the ministry is like that. I'm not muzzled. I enjoy sharing about Jesus. It is fun. I enjoy leading people to Christ. There's no greater thrill. I get high off somebody getting saved. It is really fun. See a sinner come out of darkness into light, child of the devil, to be a child of God, to be reborn. See a thousand of them at one time. Brother, I can't think of anything more exciting in my whole life. Then people come along and say, don't you get tired? They get tired in it, but not of it. You understand what I'm saying? I've got to backslide sometimes so I can sleep. It's so much fun. All right. Here is these principles now uh, put all together. This is combining all of these principles I've given you and you should think of them in terms of the context of those conditions I gave you and the principles. These are three very simple little principles. All right? The first one is this. The biggest problem you're going to have is your own ideas, your own feelings, and your own decisions. So you need to learn to die to your own desires. Now, until you get practice in this, you need to do it deliberately. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James, please. James, chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Here are three principles. This is James 4, verses 6 and 7. And I, you might as well go back to, to verse 5. I mean, uh, yeah, 6. Might as well go back to 6. God resists the proud gives grace to the humble. Let's start with that one. The first thing you do in getting guidance from God in personal ways is to humble yourself before the Lord. Notice the careful choice of the Bible word. Humble yourself. Do not ask God to humble you. Bob Mumford said, God has a humility machine, has teeth and gears, <laughs> feeds you in one end and you come out all humilified. <laughs> if you ask him to humble you, he'll do it. But he says, you do it. And that is much better. You will arrange circumstances to take care of that if you just won't do it. Humble yourselves beneath the mighty hand of God. This is the way you do it. You simply confess what is biblically true about you. I say this to God. Father, you are God, and I'm created being. You're my father, and I'm your child. You're an infinite person, and I'm only a finite person. You're infinitely great, and I am only little. So just telling the truth back to God. 
This is not saying, oh God, I am nothing, I am nobody, I am only a worm. That is baloney. You are somebody, you are something. You are not a worm. If God calls you worm, then you wriggle. But until that time, see? The, what is the safest way to think of yourself without ex avoiding those extremes of too high or too low? A forgiven child of God. Forgiven child of God. Forgiven, so remember, you came out of a pit. Child of God, so you know you do not belong there. I'm a forgiven child of God. The word forgiven keeps me in perspective. If he takes his hand off me, I'll be not only as bad as I was before, I'll be worse. Child of God. I am not a rotten, filthy, self-centered person that's still living to please myself. God has made me a new creature in Jesus Christ. I'm immensely proud of him because of that. You understand? Perspective. Not too high, not too low. Humble yourself. Say that. Say that until it thrills right through your being. The greatness of God and the fact that he is willing to talk to you. See? Scripture say many, many times, he must increase. I must decrease. If you have trouble, get your Bible out, look up some verses. What have you got that you have not received? Just look them up. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. All of those things. Look them up. And say them back to God. Say it so. All of heaven, all of hell, and hopefully not all of earth, here's the fact <laughs> that you are a created being, child of God, who is humbling himself or herself before the great God in order to hear a word of wisdom from the throne. One. Two. Die to your own desires. Well, how do you do this? Very simple way. You can have all kinds of ideas in your mind. You can have all kinds of thoughts in your mind and all kinds of decisions. All you do is simply, if you like, write them out. Feelings, your thoughts, the things you would like to do. Take that sheet of paper and either burn it, like we talked about yielding rights, or go and put it up on a shelf someplace. This apple is my desire. I want to do it. Take this thing, represent it, put it up on a shelf someplace. God, here is my desire. Here's what I think. Here's what I feel. Here's what I'd like to do. I don't know whether this is right or wrong. I don't know whether it's your idea or my idea, whether it's something you're behind or something you're not behind. I just take the whole thing and I lay it down. I ask you to put it to death. Crucify my own desire. You can't crucify yourself. You can get one nail in, but how are you going to get the other one in? <laughs> Ask Christ to put to death your own desire. Just lay him down. It's very simple. Secondly, how are you going to deal with that devil? Bible says, what? Resist. How do you resist the devil? Come here. Come here. Up here. Put your hands up. Okay, I'm going to push you. Don't resist. Okay, now resist. What's the difference? You know how some Christians come? And uh, with you, God, please. Possibly. No, you don't want to. But... Thank you. All right, he's a good resistor. Resist means that. Get out of here. You leave. I don't see. Boom. Resist. Let's have a little bit of energy in it. Stand behind, take get out of here, see? I take the devil, I say, see this scripture? I didn't write this, God did, see that? It says, resist the devil. Resist is me, the devil is you. The result, he will flee from you, that's you. 
Peter. <laughs> does it matter how powerful you are? No, it does not. It only matters how powerful he is. And that's why you got perspective. Mouse and the elephant went over the bridge. Elephant went boom, boom, boom. The mouse went beep, beep, beep. When they got to the end, the mouse said to the elephant, we sure shook that bridge, didn't we? Many just submit yourself to God. When you dealt with those two things, you should be relaxed, happy, free. Sense of peace in your heart. Just say, Father, if you want to show me now what you want me to do, could you give me just a clear thing? And you just see that God will answer you. Just little, still, small voices like this. See? And do it. You wait there a while. Nothing comes. Just say, well, thank you. You don't want to show me now? Hallelujah. Just leave. See? You find that still, small, little voice that says, Okay? That's simple. Close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your willingness to answer us, willingness to sh your willingness to show us uh, where we have blind spots and faults and failures in our life. And your more than willingness to not only help us, forgive us, cleanse us, but to give us a whole new perspective in life and guide us day by day. Thank you for the privilege of being sons and daughters of the living God. Put ourselves afresh in your hands, and we bless you for the fact that you speak today, and even the dumbest of all your children can hear and obey and follow. Amen. All right, there it is. As usual, very, very useful information, something that many of us have uh, struggled with, I know. Uh, I know I did when I was, a, particularly when I was younger in the Lord, and uh, I never quite knew uh, when I was being prompted by myself or someone else or the Holy Spirit or whatever. So these kind of, this, this whole series, actually, the whole Methods of Guidance series has been very helpful for many people, and I hope you've enjoyed it, and that's going to be it for this week. So tune in next time when we go on to episode number 15. Thanks. Thanks.